Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. My name is Vry. I'm a content editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. You can find the freelancing I do on my Twitter at Vry, and you can find the other podcast I co-host where we talk about trash media at TrashPod. Hi, I'm Caitlin. I am the technical editor for Anime Feminist, and I am a reviewer for Anime News Network. My Twitter is altsoon underscore nodere. Uh, who knows what I'm up to on there these days, because we're recording this like five months in advance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the weirdest record of all time. Uh, so sorry, we've come to you from Bizarro Land, listeners. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like in the future? Are we vaccinated? <laughs> Like, can God, we I hug our so. friends yet? One can only hope. One can only hope. Um, hello to us in the future. Um, I'm Dee, by the way. I'm one of the an- managing editors at Annie Femme, and you can hang out with me on Twitter at Jose Next Door. Hooray! And welcome to part three of our Soul Eater watch along, rewatch along, where we looked at episodes. 27 through 39, or as I believe Caitlin so neatly uh, coined it, the wheel spinning arc. No, where... that wasn't me. That was D. Oh, I've misattributed. It's okay. I wasn't going to so say sorry. anything. Nah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where a bunch of stuff happened, but it was mostly a collectathon of MacGuffins that may or may not be important later, and we set up a bunch of things for the finale. Which I guess kind of reveals how I felt about this batch of episodes, but how about you guys? I thought it had some really, really good fights. Um, I think there was a lot of it was table setting. Um, I don't re- actually remember the next stretch of episodes very well. Uh, a lot of Soul Eater, especially the plotty stuff, I did what I call ADHD watching, which was I had it on and I told myself I was watching, but I retained nothing. <laughs> so I don't remember what's going to happen. Um, I don't know what's going to come of the machine or Adon or whatever Black Star is going through right now. But the fights were very cool. And I really enjoyed seeing um, the characters outside the main team doing their thing. Yeah, I guess I should say I don't, I don't, I didn't dislike this run of episodes. It, it's just that I, we are entering the traditional part of all of these rewatch alongs where I say, I don't remember what happened in the last part of the show. <laughs> I remember Krona and Krona related items. And that's all. That was kind of what stuck with me too. I, I basically remember the very, very end, but like, it's kind of fuzzy. Um, yeah, this stretch was, I mean, I coined it the wheel spinning arc, so that probably kind of gives you a a feeling of how I feel about it. There are, there are things that happen along the way that I think are important for, like, character growth and will probably be more meaningful once we see the next stretch and know, like, why things happened the way they did. But, like, I found the the brew fight, while it looked kind of cool, and like you said, Caitlin, we, uh, we got to see the the teachers in action and I think the kids took some important steps in terms of like kind of coming into their own and going through um you know some losses and challenges that would that will strengthen them for the final fight type stuff um it it kind of has the feeling of like a shonen training arc almost where um you get to the end of it and it was like well they went in and they had this big fight and it ended up not mattering at all because Medusa got brew out immediately um 
and everybody was fighting over a fake. So I'm not sure why we had to spend five episodes on that, but here we are. It wasn't that many episodes. Oh God, it might've been. It might've been. Because we did watch a full core. I keep, I'm like, oh, it couldn't possibly have been five. No, it might've been five. Yeah. It might've, been. It might've only been three, but it was no. still a lot. Yeah. No, it might've been five. Shit. Mm. Yeah, the, the brew fight is a lot of cool fights. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have a lot of notes in there other than like, this looks neat. <laughs> um, I, I like the no... sea stringers. Well, and I have no, oh, they're the B team. Um, <laughs> I have no idea uh, what they're trying to do with the black blood thing with soul anymore. I felt like I did. And now I have no clue what's going on with that. Um, I'm not sure the author quite knew. <laughs> Um, cause that seems to be like one of the big points there, right? Is like soul is utilizing his music skills to like, I get what he did. Like he cut through the, the, the noise in the field so that they could resonate with one another. And that's cool. And like, I like the partnership aspect there with soul and Maka, like working together to link the whole team. But I thought, I thought he was, I thought like, like in the first part, the going to the demon and using the demon was, was very much pictured as like a bad thing and like anytime he does it you get nervous because it seems like this little demon wants him to do things that will lead him i think supposedly like into madness but we didn't see it, that didn't seem to happen at all in this stretch and so i'm not sure if we're supposed to read it as like soul just has like a complete control over that part of himself or i don't know what i'm supposed to do with it so that was one of my issues with the brew arc in particular was i wasn't quite sure how i was supposed to read soul's arc in particular yeah that was because uh, it, it seemed like it was sort of going one of two ways where either this is quote unquote you know it's about finding balance between reason and madness which is all your passionate emotions that we label as unilaterally negative and how you harness those for good or it's a but but at the same time there was no visual language about this demon being shocked that soul has used this in a way that he didn't want him to so yeah. it seems like he's playing into his hands but also it worked out fine so i don't know yeah that's i think that's the part that because like i think i get what soul did but i think like you said right the fact that the demon doesn't there's no indication that what soul is doing isn't what the demon wants him to do and now i'm not sure what the demon wants him to do so <laughs> um but it looked cool um i like their new attack so yeah, I'm I'm sort of at the point where I'm just like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. Um I'm choose sort of choosing to almost like have faith that they'll figure it out. Before we get into like the stuff proper anymore, I guess, I did wanna take a minute to note we've got not just a new ending, which we've been kind of semi regularly doing, but we have a new opening this time too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's nice. Okay, yeah, it is by the same singer who did the opening for Paradise Kiss, which Vrike said was just okay. It's fine. Uh, I which like is it sacrilege, fine. Honestly. Uh, Lonely it's and Gorgeous right. is a masterpiece. Uh, Paper Moon is also, I mean, I would be more okay with that being categorized as just fine. I really like the <laughs> lyric, I'll see you in your dreams. Even if they're scary dreams. Um, I also really like the lyric, don't scary, for entirely different reasons. <laughs> Paper Moon is like 
of the two, I would re- I would sooner listen to it on its own than Resonance. But Resonance is a better opening just in terms of mood and the way it matches with its visuals, where I think Paper Moon feels a little bit more generic of the era. Like it sounds honestly a lot like one of the openings for Gundam 00, which was airing around the same time, which it should not. Those are very different kinds of shows. It is not like, um, I haven't watched the visuals that go with it, but I heard the new Beastars opening and I was shocked and upset at what a downgrade it was. <laughs> I feel like it's it's tough to do follow-on openings more so than it is with endings where you kind of have, I think, more space to stretch with the kind of tone and imagery that, that, the, that they tend to do respectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The new ending is great. Best ending. I love, love the, ending. the new ending. Yeah. Um, the little, the little breakdancing move Kiriko does at the end gets me every time. <laughs> it's good. It could have been an opening, honestly, is the weirdest thing about this ending. Yeah, it's just, it's so high energy. Yeah, it has the high energy that you would, you would expect more from an, well, not, I mean, not necessarily, but that you definitely expect from an opening to, like, get you ready for the, for the punchy fights that are coming up, so... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Also, we got one last episode with Excalibur. I think this is the last one. I, I double checked real quick. I love that episode so much. Hero looks like someone's deviant art OC from the era. <laughs> uh, I can like picture him drawn like a little bit more scribbly and colored in with colored pencils. And like with like w- one hand over his face, looking through his fingers, um, like with his kind of like back bent backwards with like one wing. And that's just a DeviantArt OC. I mean, for a hot second, since these are anime original, I was like, is this a joke about Tamaki? Because there's that one throwaway line about how it, in another universe, he'd probably be really popular. <laughs> <laughs> But then I kind of discarded that as the episode went on. It, it's just, it's a fun gag on the kind of, I think, other shows of the era. I, I liked this episode a lot. Mm-hmm. Uses Excalibur to become, like, he seems so nice, but the moment he gets a little power, he just becomes so shitty. He be- uses Excalibur's powers to become a sex criminal. Yeah, it got dark for a minute there. Although, you know, kudos to this anime for not including the panty shots. Yep, thank you, Igarashi. The bar is low as always. It did get me a lot at the end because Excalibur sneezes a lot like I do. <laughs> and that was what broke him. Well, he's, he never stops, apparently. He just keeps sneezing. You know when I sneeze? Just... I sneeze at least four times in a row. <laughs> it's okay, Caitlin. We won't banish you to a cave. No. You don't force us to listen to your story for five hours every day, so you're good. It's okay if you sneeze, if you sneeze silly. Um, God, what a perfect ending to that joke, though. Just the the escalation of it being, well, we found somebody who can stand him, except for this one. Like, the, that's just good joke execution. Damn, Igarashi, you did good. <laughs> yeah, no, great, perfect episode. A++. Uh, Excalibur is a shining beacon. Of, of memory <laughs> it's good i said nothing happens this arc but uh we do have an entirely new team of villains <laughs> there's an entirely new at least half dozen characters yeah like, like i said i it's kind of um 
it's table setting. It's getting everything ready for the maybe like it'll be the final arc in the anime, but it's the main plot in the manga. Mm. Um with the Kishin and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, we can cut this if it's nothing, but uh, Dee, were you able to check in on the manga, or do you have memories of if we are at that point where it's where there's divergence points worth talking about? Uh, I couldn't check in on it. I kind of ran out of energy. Um, That's fine. I'm not that into the manga is part of the problem. Like, I just prefer to watch the anime. Um, so, and it's been a hassle to try to get volumes, so I did not check in on it, no. Nah, no worries. My and my memory of it is, I think, I know Arachne shows up around this time. Arachne uh, shows up around this time, and so I think that it. And I know there's a. I know there's a battle over Brew. Um, so I think this arc is still pretty close to the manga, using my very very fuzzy memory of it from like a decade ago. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's the next arc is where they go completely anime original. Um, because they get to the final fight like a lot faster than the manga does in my memory of it. So um, yeah, Jared, Jared has been telling me that it's actually pretty close right up until near the end. They yeah. just had to make an anime original ending. Yeah, which is why if my memory serves, the ending feels a bit rushed. But uh, we'll we'll get to that when we get to it. So mm. yeah, yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. That said, I do I don't like dislike the new the new antagonists i think it has it opens up some interesting stuff that the story is doing particularly with the conspiracy theory elements how do you mean um well because like medusa was sort like we talked about last time she has that kind of gendered element of she is a character who you know lies and manipulates people and that's a big part of her thing but arachne is specifically an information broker type character where like she sits back and isn't actively involved in things a lot of time so her introduction to the story brings along the magic plot devices but also uh, those themes dovetail us a lot more into kid's investigation of his father and his connection to the witches and all of that stuff which is something i like i i it, like, I think it is a strong theme for the story to be exploring. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think uh, I personally find Arachne and her, and especially her minions to be kind of bland, mm-hmm. uh, in, especially in comparison to Medusa and Erica and Free, who, God, we didn't see Free once this arc. And that, no, feels, like a, that feels like a crime. Um, I, they were a lot of fun. Medusa was genuinely terrifying because she was so active and involved in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think she posed, she posed a real threat, whereas Arachne just kind of feels like, I mean, like you said, she's kind of got a crime boss vibe, um, which means she mostly just sort of sits back and, and has other people do stuff. Like she just uh, makes orders and has her Jasons uh, go take care of business for her, which by the way, uh, I call them the Jasons. Every time her, her, her minions <laughs> show up with their uh, extremely stupid outfits where it looks like they're, they're wearing like their shirts pulled up over their heads. I yeah, just, they're, I just they're like Cornholio meets Jason. <laughs> right? Yeah. I cannot, I cannot take them seriously. I was like, you guys are my favorite characters this arc. I love the Jasons. They make me giggle every time they're on screen. <laughs> so amazing and i mean you're right other than the meta textual elements and arachne herself is definitely let down by the fact like giriko's okay he has a couple okay scenes with justin but mosquito sucks and isn't very interesting Uh, mosquito sucks (laughs) (laughs) i get it (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I I don't enjoy a mosquito. I like Yuriko. He's an asshole. But he's got a really, like, so much of Soul Eater. I'm so superficial with Soul Eater. Because, like, something about Soul Eater, especially the, the anime, like, not the manga, turns me into, like, a stereotypical shonen fan. Because y'all are sitting there like, yeah, you know, you know, this plot element. I was like, yeah, but it looked cool. <laughs> Yuriko's got a really cool design. And yeah, his like and his like breakdancing fights are really cool. Arachne's hot. <laughs> like, she is she is quite an attractive lady. I, Not as hot I, as Medusa though. Oh gosh. So I'm just like super like shallow <laughs> sitting over here, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, T, what were you saying? I was just gonna say I can't remember the character designer's name, but he's very good and he's mm-hmm. he works with he works on a lot of different bone shows. Um and he I think he does a very good job of of drawing attractive adults because <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Like they are they are all attractive looking characters, um, very much so. I think my deal with Giriko is that it's not that I dislike him, it's just that because he mostly has to hang around with Mosquito and his character type isn't the kind that can really play off of Arachne, mm-hmm. I like his scenes with Justin, but otherwise he doesn't really have anything strong to ping off of, and he's so he's just kind of simmering shittily without a fun <laughs> way to let that energy out. I think that's, that's, a, fair. I think that's a good way to word it. Um, like, they kind of try to, I mean, they try to position him as being like at odds with mosquito like the two of them don't like each other they have very different ways of going about things um he fancies himself like a free spirit but he does everything arachne wants like i think there's some interesting stuff there i just don't Mm -hmm. think the series really gives him i think he's one of those characters that would need more screen time to shine and he doesn't get it um, whereas I think like Erica and Free didn't get a lot of screen time. Well, I guess Erica did. Free didn't, but he was like his personality was so immediately big that he didn't need it. Like he was automatically fun to have around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I think that Giriko's written a little bit differently, so that that's not necessarily the case with him. But put, put so Giriko I, and Free in the same room. Yes. Good. Excellent. Perfect. Maybe we can make out. No. (laughs) Nah. nah. (laughs) I'll say I think the teacher character, the teacher characters have the same problem. I think where like Marie gets a lot of really cool development this arc, but I spent a lot of time thinking. I wish um, Azusa and Nigus were one character, and it was Nigus, and she got more to do that wasn't just kind of being stoic and competent. Mm Hmm. I did think it was cool that um, when Sid has to go deal with Mifune, he puts Nigus in charge of their forces. Like, she's very clearly the second in command who, if Sid has to go take care of things, like, she she doesn't come with him. He's like, you stay here and take care of things here because I trust you to do that. Um, I thought that was a, an interesting way to mm-hmm. showcase another kind of partnership because typically we just see the partners together all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff that goes on with the adults in mm-hmm. Soul Eater and the way they're used in the story. Yeah, well, and is, I, sorry, go ahead. The, there's notes for this later in the in the show notes. Should I just go into it now or carry on? It? Yeah, why not? No, 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 no. Let it flow. My okay. show notes are always <laughs> suggestions. Um, what I think is really interesting is that the adults they play an important role in the story. They're not front and center most of the time, but 
you know, the plot would not be continuing on without them. It's, this is not like a show where the adults are just the mentors and they don't do anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, the ch- you know, the children, the main characters, they're prodigies. They have a ton of raw power, um, but they are the ones who like just jump into the fights um, because fighting is pretty much all they can do. While the adults are doing, they are trained, they are knowledgeable, they do they strategize, they do reconnaissance because they know how to sneak, they know what to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really uh, interesting and more, not grounded, but like thoughtful approach because reconnaissance is hard. You can't send someone like Blackstar on reconnaissance. Yeah. Well, and I like that this, the whole point of in this fight is the kids are really there more like backup. Like we, we mm-hmm. trust you to handle yourselves if the minions come after you, but that's your job is you're supposed to just like take care of the minions if they come after you. Yeah. Um, and obviously things go, go, you know, very South and everybody kind of improvises and um, it sets up the, the one kind of through line I, I've found when, as I was organizing my notes for this is this stretches, I think very much about all of the kids kind of taking steps towards independence. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is them challenging the adults around them and not like, and, and straight up disobeying them a decent amount of time because they're like, well, I hear what you're saying, but I feel like this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, so and I, like, I, I need to go do that. Marie, Marie telling them not to go into the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like that was hand, how that was handled as well, because I feel like in a more poorly written story, uh, it would be sort of shown as a, a mother hen sort of thing. Yeah, you know, like, oh, what a buzzkill. Like, yeah. oh, we can't have mothers because mothers are the antithesis of adventure. Um, you know, she was genuinely sad at the seeing the children fight because she is an adult. Her job is to protect the children from having to fight. Yeah. Um, it's a failure of the system when the adults can't protect the children. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not wrong at being upset and sad, but you know, that's, there's nothing. The kids knew that the right thing was to go into and help their friends. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing that they could do. And she knew that and they knew that, mm-hmm. but I really appreciated how that was handled. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a very sympathetically handled scene where nobody's in the wrong, you know, like you said she's not she's not pictured as like a this like strict buzzkill mean old teacher who won't let you go have fun. Um she genuinely cares for these kids and it's just that in this moment there was really no good answer. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, I I did appreciate that. Um I think it's I, again like when you uh, pair Maria's, you you pair Marie with some of the other uh, adults in the story. Like um, we're starting to wonder what the hell is going on with Lord Death. He sure is keeping secrets from everybody, including uh, his his basically second in command with Sid. Like he's not tell he refuses to tell him the the full scope of what's going on. Um, you've got I really liked the scene at the very very end, which we'll dig into more once we start talking about Krona. Um, but where Maka calls out her dad about like how how dare you say that like you know Krona apologizing that he shouldn't get a second chance when you get sorry they i should say they with Krona. um the the i it's hard because the subs yeah. use yeah the, the translation uses he and it's easy to like slip into what they did sticks in my brain yeah. um 
but you know when Maka when mm-hmm. Maka goes against uh, Lord Death and her dad um, in that final scene where they're like, well, you know, Krona betrayed us, and, and I'm sorry, I won't fix it. And Maka's like, you've gotten a million second chances. You say I'm sorry, and then you just do the same damn thing again when you cheated on Mom. I trust Krona not to do it a second time. Um, I, I really I really appreciated that scene because Maka is I think of all the kids, she's the one who has been the least rebellious. Um, she's and so a good girl. Yeah. And so to, and I mean, you know, she, 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 mm-hmm. she and kid both like bought into and believe in this system and these authority figures. And so to see them both this arc really going against that and pushing back against that, um, based on their own experiences, their own, um, you know, sense of right and wrong. I think that, I think that undercurrent about the coming of age was to me, like the one thing looking back at this stretch of episodes that like, really stood out as as like not just wheel spinning you know like it was it was something that seemed to be going on intentionally with all of the characters mm-hmm. so i did like that yeah that's easily the strongest part of this stretch of episodes is that battle of idealism versus pragmatism and oh no the entire society you live on is it, live under is built on a lie and like trying to pick up the pieces mm-hmm. of what you believe while you're growing up and, and i'm not entire I don't know that I trust this show to come to a like <laughs> potent thesis yeah. about it in a way an Ikuhara show might, but emotionally it really captures mm-hmm. that journey that Kid and Maka yeah, are going through, which is good and cool. And I think characterizing mm-hmm. the adults so well is a big part of that because there are so many, like Sid has gone from this character who was the best caretaker for these kids to somebody who is just painfully complicit in hiding things from them and maybe making things harder or more dangerous from them because he's he's caught up in these varying loyalties and i really liked what they did with him the stretch of episodes actually yeah i think they do a good job of giving you kind of a broad scope of adults because i didn't mention this we've also got medusa who is absolutely the worst parent oh bad bad mom She's the worst. And then you get Mifune, who's the best parent. Mifune's a very good dad to his, <laughs> to his, li- his tiny witch daughter. I'm very interested, because again, I remember nothing about the last 12 episodes, uh, how much sh- space the show will have to, because it's kind of, it's kind of brought up this element of our witch is really evil, you know, that kind of sort of standard, right. but, but yeah. not bad kind of narrative. Uh, and like, but it brings it up so sparingly through this singular character and his precious uwu charge that I wonder if they'll really have time mm-hmm. to dig into that. But I really like them. Mm-hmm. Like I like I like Anne and Mifune. I really enjoy Mifune's episodes. Um, I've been having discussions with Jared about who the hottest soul eater character is, and then it's like, oh wait, it's Mifune. <laughs> um, I mean, he is the total package, as opposed to Medusa, who is the hottest and the worst. But, like, I really want to, it's really, I I felt it when he was like, oh, God, I would love to be a teacher at this school. I would, you know, like, he loves kids in a totally not sketchy way. Yeah. Um, But he can't do it because he has Angela. And, like, I really, like, I felt that. There's, I can't think of anything that's directly applicable to my life, but like as you know, a teacher myself, like that sort of thing is something that I'm aware of. It's like, where does this thing that I want conflict with what I have? I would love nothing more than for the art, the story to end with uh, 
the witch versus DWMA war ending and Mifune gets to be a teacher and, and live with Angela in peace. That's really the only thing I want out of the Soul Eater ending. <laughs> All the other characters could die as long as Mifune is happy. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I remember having the first time I watched this conflicting feelings about uh, Medusa's arc in this stretch. I think I like it better now. I will say the, the first episode where she comes back is some peak horror um, for this show. Creepy children's program. really good. Gets to me. When she's sitting there watching the TV show with the apple. Oh, oh. It's just good horror anime making, and I was I was pleased. On the whole, I'm a little I both understand and am a little annoyed by by giving her a child body because we need to nerf her for this arc. Because I didn't she's necessarily feel like it nerfed her the the body specifically. Like I mean, she mm. Stein but, like, basically I, I, killed her, and so like it tracks for me that it would take her a while to get back up to full strength. But I don't think that the fact I don't think her possessing a ch- a child's body at this point is the reason why she's maybe low on power. I think it's because she had to piece her soul back together and, uh, and again, possess a kid. And that is, it, God, that part is, it is terrifying. Can I tell you guys a fun fact about that episode? Sure. It's storyboarded by Kunihiko Ikuhara. Yes. <laughs> you can, the part where you can oh, that's really right. tell so is the, uh, the dining room conversation with Arachne and her minions. And there's this weird thing going on in the background where the Jasons keep switching yeah. out. <laughs> and you're like, is explained and you're like, now. this is strange. I, I guess it's mention. symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <Damn> it, <laughs> that's strange. I guess it's symbolism. It's just the Ikuhara experience. <laughs> 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 I did. I I've summarized now. his entire canon. <laughs> we can all go home. Uh, I had this at the end of the show notes, but like we might as well talk some about Corona now because those two characters kind of go hand in hand. But I was really impressed at by which I mean upset with with how the Corona and Medusa stuff is in this run of episodes is they spend so much time real uh i i feel like the character who becomes good and then has a slip up betrayal is pretty common in shonen but because soul eater specifically has spent so much time underlining how it's specifically about krona's trauma and and how hard a time they are having adjusting and how many small steps it takes for for one backslide to be so big it feels yeah. a lot more grounded yeah and, and I, I think a lot of the time instead with, of frustrating with, uh, shows like this like you'd have the moment where you know krona breaks free from the toxic family member and that would or you know or adult, adult authority figure or whoever it would be and that would be it right then they would become a member of the team and that would and that would be their story going forward so and i they think- have a big confrontation later where she tells her mom where she tells medusa or blah pronouns i don't know why I even with she or <laughs> where they pronouns tell their mom hard. you don't have power over me anymore and it's a big triumphant moment and we all applaud yeah but that's not how it works with abusive Parents. I too like yeah, and I think, relationships. And I think, I mean, you know, in so much that Soul Eater is also a fantasy series, so obviously there's a lot of um, unreal elements involved in that. But I, I like that this goes back to that and shows that it's not that, you know, mm-hmm. it's not that simple or straightforward and, and how, you know, hard this is for Krona because 
that moment when they start crying and they say to Maka, she's my mother. It's like, oh, it just breaks your heart because it it is, it isn't that, it isn't as easy as, well, I'm, I know that you're, you know, a terrible parent and you're abusive to me. Like you are the person who raised me. And like, there's still that, that sense of, of affection and attachment, even though Medusa doesn't deserve it. Um, well, and it's so mm-hmm. smartly plays into actual abuse dynamics because like we see in the first in the first half, uh, Medusa is so like cold to them, but now that yeah. she wants something so from them, she, she's very sweet and and like affirmation and even like makes mm-hmm. the task a little bit easier when it's clear that Krona's not up for. Because initially, I can't remember what Medusa initially asked Krona to do, um, and Krona's like, "I don't think I can." And Medusa's like, "Okay, well, how about this? Just put this in in the tea, um, in Marie's tea." And it, yeah, it. You're right. It. She's very. She's very sweet and like loving and like, oh, I'm so proud of you for doing this to Krona, which is, you know, something Krona wanted very badly in the first stretch. So the divided loyalties and the guilt and there's a there's a surprisingly realistic panic attack um, experienced by Krona at one point. So, yeah, I think (laughs) I think Krona and Maka's relationship is kind of the beating heart of this series, even though we kind of just touch on it periodically. You know what I mean? I think that might be the thing that the anime really latched onto. and was like, this is going to be our emotional through line is these characters. Um, because it always seems to be like the, the, that episode felt feels more like, like the conclusion of the arc than the big fight with brew did. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I will say it mm-hmm. did that conversation they have on the roof felt so flat for me because like I, it clearly wants to get to the point where they have this conversation about mothers and Krona has this realization about how they, their own conflicted feelings and understand Maka's feeling with her mom, who I guess we've confirmed has disappeared now and isn't just not around. That's new. But why does Krona know what divorce is, let alone have normative opinions on it? Like you, you just needed to put these audience reaction asides in there so that the comedy shtick would keep going. It doesn't feel like natural to these character to this character. Those yeah, moments I guess that's for fair. Me. It didn't bother me, but I mean, yeah, I think that's yeah. a fair criticism. Um, mm-hmm. I I think it sticks the the I think it sticks the landing really well though with the uh, the, mm-hmm. the yeah the, the, the self scene gets where it's going. It, so <laughs> like it's oh. that Krona falls into and then. Oh. Oh. it's a metaphor visual metaphor i thought it was i just it's just maka's such a good character and she's so Mm -hmm. she says like just such a it's such a good scene where she comes in and like and you know tells krona like i need you to stop hurting yourself because you're my friend and it hurts me to see you hurt yourself um because that's not the direction again I, i think a lot of the time these stories don't necessarily go that route and I, I liked the way Maka worded that in terms of like, no, I care about you, Krona. Mm-hmm. So that uh, the the last scene of yeah, um, but the last scene of the episode is really interesting, and the sh- series doing good nuance because like during that whole conversation, I had like flashbacks to the Twitter discourse if Soul Eater had been airing now. Oh God! Don't do that. Uh, Krona did nothing wrong. That Krona did nothing wrong. Leader slightly predates Twitter. Uh, don't don't try. Krona did nothing wrong, or Krona is a monster who who was still complicit in these actions, regardless of if they felt bad about it. Like the show is surprisingly nuanced about it. Like, yeah, 
yeah, uh, somebody might, some people did die and more people might die because you did this thing. But also you're a child who was kind of forced into a corner and those can both be true. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I thought, another thing I thought was really interesting with Krona was their relationship with Ragnarok during these episodes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like Ragnarok kind of does the classic shonen thing where he's defeated and now he's smaller and friendlier which they literally call out they literally are like well he's smaller now yeah um, but like the mo and the moment that medusa comes back ragnarok starts uh abusing krona again because krona like ragnarok is more or less a manifestation of krona's self-hatred and you know when they're away from Medusa's influence when they're with people who are supportive um, and who care about them. Like he's smaller and quieter and he, you know, eats snacks with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems, it seems harmless again. Uh, it seems like he has lost most of his power over her. But the moment Medusa comes back, he is back to t- calling her use or calling them useless calling them like telling them to just shut up and obey already just do what medusa says Mm -hmm. uh because they are useless without her well and their friends would never forgive them if they found out about this anyway so yeah and and your your friends are gonna hate you um so i thought that there's just a lot going on going on with medusa and they're not the subtlest metaphors you know i don't feel like i'm brilliant for sussing this out i'm not gonna write like a big thesis on it um but But, i mean the age it's it's still interesting to see yeah acknowledged as an emotional process especially in a shonen like this yeah and i think it's really i think it's a really good way to you know visually and dramatically show that you know instead of just relying on like a bunch of internal monologues for Krona to have Ragnarok be be that that presence mm-hmm. side note a propose of nothing it is so fucking rude that they ne- they did at least two runs of soul eater figures and they never made a Krona one and this is rude to me as somebody who collects figures of my tiny gender babies I'm <laughs> sorry personally attacked that is extremely rude to you specifically <laughs> They were like, hey, we heard Rai really wants a Krona figure, so let's not. Let's not make it. We don't want their money. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I love them. But, and uh, speaking of gender shit, though, we should probably talk about that annoying uh, Black Star and Maka episode, though. <sighs> yes, I really did want, I wanted to spend some time on this one, because I think that's the one I had the most notes on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, there's a lot happening in that episode, and unlike with Chrono, where there's a lot happening and it's good, there's a lot happening and it's not so good. I hated that episode until the very, very end when I figured out what it, what, I figured out what it was trying to do, and uh, the way I wrote this down in my notes is there's a difference between, uh, you know, we talk about this with um, a lot of the time with like colorblind versus color conscious cast- casting mm-hmm. um, in shows where you you can't just because of because of various stereotypes and power dynamics and whatnot, both in fiction and in reality, you can't just like close your eyes and and assign casting to characters because it can still lean into, you know, stereotypes and things like that. Um, and I think the same can be true of gender. 
Um, because ultimately what that episode is trying to be about is Maka stepping into a leadership role and the importance of a leader to, of a leader to understand and accept the people who are following you and to, you know, change your methods to help suit them instead of just like shouting at them to, you know, suddenly become a, a, a round peg in a round hole kind of thing. Um, I think that that is what I believe that episode is trying to do because it does end with with Stein's kind of triumphant and Maka's the team leader and Maka's like, hell yeah, I'm the team yeah, leader. Yeah, that, um, it, it never really gelled. Yeah, the problem is because of the, because Maka is the only female member of the cast and because Tsubaki, well, no, no, sorry, not of the cast, of the, of the Meisters. Mm. Maka's the, so Maka's the only one who can do the resonance it's the Meisters are the only ones who can do this resonance thing. Right. Um, so one of them would, ha- would need to be the leader um, because of that. And because black star basically doesn't have to do jack shit. Um, Tsubaki takes care of all the emotional labor. Um, oh. It very much turns into an episode about how girls just need to accommodate their big, strong men friends. Mm-hmm. Um and and mm-hmm. you know bend over backwards to make sure that that things that they they need to they need to be the ones who change because clearly he can't you know yeah, he's just so strong and passionate you want him to slow down for you eat shit I I completely agree um I feel like the episode would have come across a lot better if they because later in another episode Sid talks about how. Blackstar is really going through something right now. Yeah. Because he never, like, he was never beaten in a fight before, but now he's getting his ass kicked over and over and over. And he has, but we just get a flash of that deer thing. Uh, so we don't, in the actual episode, so we don't know what's going on exactly with Blackstar. Mm-hmm. Just that, like, he's not feeling great right now. Um, so without that context, it really kind of seems like Blackstar's being a brat, mm-hmm. and it's up to Maka to accommodate him. Mm-hmm. As once again, as as the girl on the team, yeah. like Maka has to be the reasonable one. Maka has to like uh, think about Blackstar's feelings. Uh, poor Tsubaki, like she hasn't gotten any development from the very beginning of the series like she's done nothing but like be the mouthpiece for black stars internal emotional processes yeah i mean she kind of has that one two-parter in the very first core that's about her feelings of self-worth and like her plan that's what i'm talking about yeah that's That's, what caitlin's saying yeah Yeah. Yeah, that that was that was what i was referring to is like she gets all of her development at the very beginning of the series and it's good it's a good couple episodes and then she does nothing but support black star Mm -hmm. um so it's just that episode was really frustrating for me i think what i think it would have i think what would have made it work for me is that moment where where black star where baki pops black star in the back of the head and he's like yeah i know i screwed up i shouldn't have like i shouldn't have lashed out like that and he says will you help me make it right and she says sure i think up to that point it's pretty good and if black star had done any of the work to have that conversation with Maka. Like maybe Tsubaki's there to, you know, help him out because he's we know Blackstar's not 
good at words, right? Mm -hmm. He's not, he's not good at expressing himself. So Mm -hmm. I can understand it being like, Hey, I do need your help with this. But the fact that Blackstar doesn't have to do Jack that episode, he has to put in, he puts in no emotional labor to make up with Maka at all. I was, yeah, Um, I was, he just has Tsubaki do it for him. I think that's the, that to me was the big sticking point was like, okay, if you want to have this conversation, then Blackstar needs to be a part of it. Mm. Yeah. I I agree. And like Stein, I know that Stein's not like a great teacher in that way. And also Stein is also going through something right now. Mm-hmm. Stein's going through a lot of things right now. But he like he really didn't help the help my perception of the episode with how he was like Maka's like I want Blackstar off the team and Stein's like all right, you're off the team because guess what? Guess who's the strongest member of the team? black star it's like yeah but if black star is impeding the team's progress it doesn't matter if he's the strongest yes that's also a him problem they should there should be there should be some give and take here and instead Mm -hmm. maka is the one who just has to come to terms with everything yeah um so frustrating yeah um yeah that episode made me real angry Mm -hmm. (laughs) the one thing i liked about the episode was like at the end when Maka was like, all right, I want you to punch me. I punched you. Like, and I didn't think it was fair for her to apologize like this. Like he absolutely deserved for her to deck him. Yeah, he um, did. Sorry. Like some people are like, oh, well, you shouldn't hit people. I'm like, no, sometimes people deserve to get punched. Um, so he, but when Maka was like, all right, I want you to punch me, um, you know, to make us even. And so he like, goes all out punching her back Mm -hmm. that didn't feel that didn't feel as gendered as it could have that felt like something a moment between two equals yeah not between the girl but like at like at the same time like that's such a small thing in such a like a weird uncomfortable episode Mm -hmm. yeah and again i i think because of the way the episode ends up framing it as like this leadership thing I don't think the author had any awareness of what I would call these unconscious biases that are happening in the story. No. Um, I do not think it was intentional. Um, but again, that's that's why that's why it's important to think about these things yes. because you can accidentally uh, you can accidentally do a sexism. And there, that's <laughs> um, something honestly like that's something that you see in Fire Force quite a bit too. Oh yeah, um, just. Uh, a lot of behavior it's like well if this were two guys doing this it would be fine but like the fact that like the genders of the character make it feel gendered and kind of thoughtless um and uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um and i mean there's stuff in fire force that is absolutely like definitely gendered and in an annoying way but (laughs) um yeah no okubo I feel like overall Soul Eater is generally pretty good about this stuff. Um, and I know that Okubo made, like, chose to make, uh, chose to have a female character to, like, make the story stand out. And he generally treats Maka pretty equally with the male characters. But um, it's not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I lost my train of thought. I think Blackstar just consistently gets a pass. Mm -hmm. And it, up to this point, I was like, oh, he's just a, he's just a big silly kid. And he, and he is. And like, I don't even really, I don't feel like, how do I put this? 
the way he reacts to things, I think is realistic for like a 13 year old mm-hmm. who has, you know, always kind of been the big fish in the small pond. Um, but it, and fru- this arc frustrates parents. Yeah. Um, it sounds like Sid basically raised him, yeah. um, which is kind of cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's frustrating that the narrative isn't asking him to like change in a way that I think it is the other characters. It, it doesn't, I don't feel like it challenges, it challenges his, his behavior in the, like, like we understand that he's, he's going through some stuff as far as like mm-hmm. insecurity and self-confidence goes, but he's also being a dick. Mm-hmm. He's, and... he's the most standard shonen character. Well, I, and I kind of think the, sh- it, dead, get he doesn't get challenged on it because he's just, that's just how shonen protagonists are. I almost, I don't want to get my hopes up even, but I almost felt like with his last episode, uh, the the next last one in this batch, they were maybe trying to build on do- setting up doing something with that because uh, because of his fight with Kid and, you know, he's got these angers over his losses and maybe it's starting HRT, but at least intellectually, I have some sympathy with how that episode framed him as this kid with like this he feels angry and he doesn't know what to do with it because he knows this isn't necessarily productive emotion, but what do I'm a teenager. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I definitely like he's going through. Well, and specifically the way that episode had that moment where Sid's like, Oh my God, is he turning into his dad that we had to kill because he killed too many people? Mm -hmm. Like potentially there's something interesting there, but I'm not sure I have faith in the show to pull it off because you're right it's given black star a pass in the way it hasn't with other characters yeah yeah i I, like i like black star um i think he is generally a good kid even if he you know even if he's dumb as hell like there were people on my timeline like i was talking about mifune they're like yeah there is his only mistake was not killing black star I'm just like, no, Blackstar's a child. Mifune would never hurt a child if he didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. um, but, like, I mean, I, I like Blackstar. I enjoy him a lot of the time. I think when he grows up, he's basically going to be Gallo from Promare. <laughs> <laughs> He's got he's, he's a, got he's got trigger protag energy. Mm-hmm. I, just I would, a grade A himbo. <laughs> um, um, yeah, and again, I, I I mean I agree with what you guys are saying, and I I do agree. Like I think that Black Star's like kind of directionless anger and the way he lashes out at people, I think that is I think that is realistic again for his age and what's been going on with him. Um, it is just that question of like, is the show going to force him to confront the to to confront what he's doing and change himself? Mm-hmm in any kind of way. Like, I just, I feel like Blackstar never has to change to accommodate other people, but everybody else has to. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is an important life skill and Blackstar Mm -hmm. should probably learn it. So some cooperation and compromise would be, would be good. I think. It's such a thing like with just teenage boys in general, it's such a boys being, it's, it's, it's almost like a boys being boys thing. It feels that way sometimes. Yeah. Like, well, um, what are you going like, to do? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you could learn how to sympathize mm-hmm. and, and empathize and talk about your feelings. Yeah. Um, um, I feel like, you know what I feel like would have made the episode better is if like Sid's conversation where he's talking about how Black Star is going through, like going through something right now. If that was who had been there instead of Stein. Mm. 
if there had been someone who at least was able to guide Maka through, if the episode's about Maka becoming a leader, mm-hmm. someone who can guide her instead of making her like think like, oh, or uh, someone who can guide her instead of saying, well, figure it out. Someone who can say, you have someone on your team who is having like a hard time right now who you want to be able to meet like to meet you where you are but sometimes they just need you to meet them where they are because they can't meet you that way i feel like that would have made the episode so much better instead of just stein being a dick and a bad teacher Mm -hmm. yeah because like overall in other episodes they do have that very good i think theme of you don't always have to understand what somebody is going through you just have to respect it and like meet each other halfway yeah like that's that's good for ya fiction but it just broke so bad this time yeah yeah that's frustrating mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see we'll see where black star goes next next arc i guess I, in the last 12 episodes because we're coming up on the end of the anime we are yep which did, you know, that's a little sad. Uh, um, but also, yay, it's it's a manageable length. Look at it. Look at it being manageable. I'm still <laughs> bitter about the whole long-running thing. It makes me tired. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the length of the Soul Eater. I know there's folks who would like us to have like a full adaptation um but and we'll we can talk more about this next week too i will I would, try to get a hold of the final volumes so i can refresh myself on how the soul eater manga ends um so we can talk about that a little bit next week but mm-hmm. no promises yeah. yeah things are hard I mean, right now yeah. i would like a full adaptation just so that like i don't have the tolerance for okubo's fan service bullshit um and so I'm not going to read the manga. I would like to see the rest of the story filtered through Igarashi and Studio Bone. Oh, that would—that's yeah. awfully optimistic of you, thinking that that's what would happen, as opposed to. No, I mean, listen. I'm saying in a perfect world uh. where I got what I wanted, and anime <laughs> was always good. <laughs> Okubo's vision filtered through Igarashi is pretty much ideal yeah because you get all the cool aesthetic you get the like the fun writing and the cool fights without all of the panty shots hooray cuts out the bullshit it's great i love it any final thoughts on this round that we didn't get to that we can squeeze in in two minutes Nothing that we could squeeze in in two minutes. No. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's some stuff to talk about with Stein and his madness. We'll have time. To, I think we'll have, yeah. we talked on that last time. We'll have time to touch on it, to talk about it next time too. I'm sure. It's still dancing yeah. the dance of ableism. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a little complicated. Yeah. I think. I, yeah. The show is, we do we don't have, we can't get into this in two minutes. So we'll just talk about it next time. Yeah. It's Put fine. a pin in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, yeah, good work. And we, you know what we can unilaterally say for this stretch is it only had spirit in it for like two minutes. So it must be good. And with a funny <laughs> joke. With a funny joke. Because when when Death was making him repeat after him to talk to Justin. For the lip reading, yeah. Uh, he was imitating uh, 
he was imitating Death's speech patterns, and I laughed. <laughs> I don't know if that was in the dub because you guys are watching the. Dub, I actually, right? I, I watched the sub for most of the stretch because I don't know. I just got into the swing of it, and it was good. But like you know, still going back and forth. Yeah, but spirit copying, like resignedly copying Death's like neuron kind of speech patterns, uh, was very funny. You did it. <laughs> All right, I think that brings us to the end of this one. Thanks so much for joining us, Anafam. If you liked this episode, you can find more of our stuff by searching for us on your podcatcher of choice or finding our website, animefeminist.com. If you really liked this, you can always go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash animefeminist. Even a dollar a month really helps us continue to make content on the page and in your earbuds and on transcripts. Uh, we fold that into our monthly expenses so it really the the support really really helps if you want to get a hold of us on social media we are on facebook at anime femme we are on tumblr at anime feminists and we are on twitter at anime feminist thanks so much for joining us and next time we will be back to watch the final stretch of soul eater and i'm excited and one more dash of Krona feels, please. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, be like Excalibur and only use the most lavish of bathrooms. I can't believe we heard Excalibur take a shit on camera. <laughs> Perfect. That's the show. Good night, everybody. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs>